afternoon and good evening, wherever and whenever you may be, and welcome to episode 71 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm a mom woman. I'm Anna Flint. And I'm Clarice Lockery. This week, Ryan Gosling is back and he's feeling the Kennedy in Netflix's The Grey Man. Uh, we go where the four dads sing, or do they? Whatever a four dad is in Olivia Newman's adaptation of an all-time bestseller, Filmmaker John Jack Arnaud revisits the dramatic events of April 15, 2019 in Notre Dame on Fire. And in our hot take, we ask the question, is Marvel's Phase 4 doing its heroines dirty, or has the MCU finally gotten female superheroes right? Lots and lots to get into. Uh, but yes, we are back after a week's absence uh, because your man's got COVID. Not that I knew it was COVID at the time because my tests were coming up negative. Uh, but uh, yeah, I figured out that it was COVID. I am on the mend. Um, almost Tell them how back you thought, to... figured it out, Amon. <laughs> so I was, you know, in London to do a really exciting Breathing interview. on everyone. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm really joking. Sorry, I'm pulling your leg. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, I've been steadily getting better over the, like since last Friday. And I thought I was well enough to go into London and do this really exciting junket. And what they do now at in-person junkets, they have like a room where you, uh, where you get uh, your, your COVID test uh, just to make doubly sure that, you know, you don't um, really shit the bed and you know, kill Brad Pitt or something like that. Um, so I did the COVID test and I got a positive test. And initially it was actually, <laughs> it was a faint uh, uh, one. So I was like, okay, let me do it again. And it came back positive again. So I left, or I was about to leave. Then I get a message like 10 minutes after that, um, your test is negative. Go back upstairs to the hotel, walk into the room. Uh, guys, I got this negative test. Oh, sorry, that was a mistake. Uh, we were just actually getting that text rescinded and getting you the positive test sent. So yeah, they were just adding insult to injury with that. But um, when yeah, when that, that, that's came how I found as out. positive, was it like that is seen in Monsters Inc. where they find the sock on the monster's back? <laughs> they had to like, <laughs> get, and they're all in like the the yellow hazard suits. <laughs> yeah, them. nah. They, they they just pull me aside. I'm on. Can, can, how was he? I was like, oh shit, in my head. Okay, <laughs> Here right. we go. Uh, yeah, you test positive. I was like, what? But uh, yeah, that, that that's that's how I found out. Uh, what was the brand of COVID test that you were using that said it was not COVID? Because I think we should advise no one to get them. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, I need to figure that out and take a screenshot and put it on Twitter and put them on blast because not cool. Um, yeah, so, yeah, but uh, as I say, I'm on the mend. Uh, well enough to do this podcast with you gals today. Uh, how, how have you been spending your week? I assume, you, assume it's been a little bit better than mine. Uh... I've had done some really nice interviews this week. Actually, I've spoke to this in the last week. I spoke to Lashana Lynch, Gwendolyn Quist Christie, um, and John Boyega. And I 100% mentioned Lego Star Wars Super <laughs> Skywalker Saga in every single interview. Wow. I feel like that's my new thing now. My goal is to ask everyone about Lego Star Wars Skywalker I love Saga. it. <laughs> But it made wow. sense, like, because, um, well, it made sense with Gwendolyn and John. And you're How did they Gwendolyn come up with Lashana? I can't, I think we're talking about, um, 
I think we were talking about Marvel <laughs> stuff and like gay. I, I don't know something. I'll find it anyway. I'll find any tenuous link because well, she was oh, Maria Rattenborough. So right. So it's Marvel, yeah. Lego Marvels, superheroes. Then I can bring it up. Or maybe I'll just like, oh, I love playing this game on my off time. I don't know. It happens. I will do it every single I time. I want it to be like you're you're in the Zoom interview and you just like you're just holding the DS in your hand, waiting for them to be like, what? Have, oh, what oh have sorry. Got let me just put. Oh, sorry. I was just playing Lego Marvel's <laughs> superheroes out now on Nintendo yeah. and PlayStation Four. <laughs> And then he could get some advertising money. It'd be great. Yeah, I should do that. I should be like an ambassador for Nintendo Switch. <laughs> but it made sense because in the Lego Star Wars, you can play as people. So I was like, I was like to Gwenda, I was like, so you can play as Captain Phasma. And also what's interesting is like when I was talking to John, um, it, so often I do actually play as Finn because it makes, because he's like, he's got, there's so many different versions of Finn you can play once you do it. You can add characters. So often it's like, I need to throw a stormtrooper grenade. Let's get Finn. <laughs> and it's like, sweet switch. He's like, yay, throw a grenade. <laughs> I love that. Anyway, they both appreciate it. They loved it. So, <laughs> yeah, so I've had a very nice week chatting to lovely people in films that I love. Amazing. Clarice, who have you chatted to this week? Nobody. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you, know, you might have heard about this heat wave thing that happened. Um. And when there's a heat wave, I just can't leave my house because the trains melt and also the beach is packed. So I just didn't, I didn't do anything this week. <laughs> no, I'm the same. I'm like, when it's, I don't need to, leave, I don't need to be out and about if I'm, I don't enjoy heat in the city. It's like, yeah, mm. I'll do it on holiday. But like, I don't like it. I'm not about that life. Yeah. On, and what was quite good about my flat is that it's because it's a ground lower ground floor flat. It's actually quite cool. So you know, I'm even wearing a jumper now, and it's quite hot. But yeah, it's always nice when I like to like go outside. Actually, the only way I went outside is to do some. Oh, I also spoke to Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans this week. Oh my god, like I've spoke so many. That's the only reason I left the house on Tuesday, and I wore this very loose dress, <laughs> and I sat down on the bus, and I woke got up, and I had like two patches underneath my boobs of sweat, <laughs> and I was like. I was like fanning it. I was like, come on, this it's 40 degrees. Dry these boob sweat patches before I meet Brian Gosling. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. It's funny looking at the red carpet photos from this week being like, you know those people are rich because they've got people to pat down the sweat patches. Yeah. <laughs> but also I, I think rich. they're used to that temperature though because if most of them live in LA, true, they must be used to it. True. Yeah. And also, we did not see Ryan Gosling take his jacket off. It was just, it was pure sweat underneath that <laughs> red jacket. <Just> wet. <laughs> yeah. You know what thing I really appreciate about, appreciated about the Lost City? Was just like, you know how like sweaty they were? Like Daniel Radcliffe's shirt was always really sweaty. And I was like, I like that. Mm. I like the realism of that. Like they're in a hot <laughs> climate. He is a pasty Caucasian. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna be yes. sweaty there's a movie out this week that annoyed me because no one sweated in it at all oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> we can get to it when we, we talk Ooh. about it there um, you have it people daniel radcliffe just like us um <laughs> he really is he's so nice i love daniel radcliffe i think he's like one of my faves he fave. he right now may he long remain an unproblematic fave um because yeah. yeah every yeah Almost everything that I see on him, like when he chooses to speak out and stuff, is like, yes, that's right. He's very you, diplomatic, and I like it. Yeah. 
But anyway, uh, enough about Daniel Radcliffe. It's time to hear more about Ryan Gosling and Christopher Evans, because our first film this week is The Grey Man. What do you know about the Sierra program? Reckless mystery man you guys send in when you can't officially send anyone else. The Grey Man. Lloyd. I got an urgent locate and destroy. That could be fun. The man's got some street cred. I mean, my ego's a little bruised. Man, I feel like a gray man. <laughs> Let's go, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> when the CIA's most skilled mercenary known as Court Gentry, aka Sierra Six, accidentally uncovers dark agency secrets, he becomes a primary target and is hunted around the world by psychopathic former colleague Lloyd Hansen and international assassins. Woo! This is based on the novel The Grey Man by Mark Greeny and directed by Joe and Anthony Russo. You may know them from uh, independent uh, movies such as Avengers Infinity War. Sorry, Avengers he's Endgame. stealing Tiger Waititi's <laughs> jokes. <laughs> that's his bit. I've made that joke before. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have no, to do the, the, the thing bit. on that joke. No, that's his joke. You can't take it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> He's been making that joke since 2017. You're not allowed to have it. Think of a new joke. <laughs> I just don't even know what to say to that. Well, okay, you, you have try to this quote again. that it's from him. You gotta say. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start this again for for for, for, for benefit. Based on the novel The Grey Man by Mark Greeny and directed by Joe and Anthony Russo, uh, this is the following is a quote by Taika Waititi apparently. Uh, Joe and Anthony Russo are independent, <laughs> directed independent movies like Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. Is, is that okay? Does that work? Is that work? Um, passing okay, it by the lawyers, passing it by the lawyers. <laughs> yeah, that's acceptable. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and it starts... it's not infringed. <laughs> <laughs> and it stars Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, Reggie John Page. Billy Bob Thornton, Jessica Hennick, Danush, Wagner Mora, and Alfred Woodard. And um, Julia Butters. And Julia Butters. What the a little stat. girl from One Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. Nice. Nice. What a stacked, stacked cast. Um, we are not going to use the word preternatural in this review because it's an asshole word, uh, as Chris Evans says <laughs> in the film. Uh, but, yeah. Um, where to start with this one? I'm going to start with... The Joe and Anthony Russo and the action of it all, because this is a very action heavy film. <laughs> I don't know why I always have to say <laughs> Anthony. <laughs> this is a very action heavy film, and they do have really impressive uh, action credentials Winter Soldier, Civil War, the aforementioned Avengers movies. Welcome um, to Collingwood. <laughs> <laughs> cherry no <I'm> just... <laughs> yeah. we don't talk about cherry no 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 um but yeah just on the action front given how action heavy a movie this is what did you make of that and hannah seeing as you talked to the two big guns in this film already i'm gonna start with you well actually there's four big guns <laughs> 
And also, Mon's got his guns out today, so. I do. Mm. Sun's out, guns out. out. It's the Mon gone through. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I think this is exactly what you're going to, why you should watch the film. Because I think it is that action heavy. I feel like, I'm so glad that I managed to see this. I know it's coming onto Netflix, but I'm really glad I saw it on the big screen. Because it was just actually thrill-packing, um, thrill-seeking, um, high-octane. And like a good, I felt like there was a good balance of like car chase sequence, hand-to-hand combat, but then also some quite like um, claustrophobic scenes as well. Like there's a bit where he's like trapped, Ryan is trapped somewhere um, in like a, in a well, and it's like oh he's got to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that I think that was well done. I re- there was a really good scene with Danush as well with um, in a hospital scene, which I thought was like carried out very well like I, I think they know how to do action and I just don't think I personally would not criticize the action at all in this I think it's the um the main reason to go see it obviously apart from thirsting thirsting opportunities <laughs> <laughs> well you see it's, it's interesting you know we were talking a little bit about Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling in our whatsapp chat and you guys are not the as big a Chris Evans, Ryan Gosling fans as I, I thought you might be, which was surprising. But I, okay. Excuse me, what? <laughs> <laughs> I love Ryan Gosling, but I also, mm. I respect that he is with Ava Mendes and they have mm-hmm. four beautiful children. So for me, it's like, I, I want you to, I want this perfect little arrangement to stay. <laughs> like, I love you, Ryan Gosling. You are so goddamn hot. And I'm surprised I didn't spontaneously decompose, <laughs> like combust, decompose spontaneously combust uh, <laughs> when I was in that room. Um, but I, you know what it is about Chris Evans? I do fancy him, don't get me wrong, I do fancy him and stuff. I think it's like, the, it's the it's the playing the both sides starting point thing that kind of has me on like the political stuff. Because I feel like he did this site and it was, he did that site to try and like engage in politics. It's like, mm-hmm. don't both sides it, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the problem, but yeah. yeah. I think it's a you know this is the last thing I say. I don't want to get too off a track, but it, I think I think his that initiative you're talking about, Chris Evans did. It's a really smart idea that would have played a lot better like a decade ago when things still made a little bit more sense in that regard. Before mm. the whole Trump thing just messed everything up and it just it didn't become political anymore. It just became about common sense and right and wrong. Mm. Um, but again, we're getting too off track. Back to the movie. But no way, Clarice. <laughs> I want to know. I want because when in our WhatsApp chat, Clarice hmm. was like, "I would like to be excluded from the narrative, okay. <laughs> or something like that." And I'd like. I need further context for why. I like. I I can only maintain like three to four celebrity crushes. <laughs> and like got Pedro Pascal, Alden Ehrenreich. The, White, the barn's the, full at the moment. <laughs> there's, no, there's no room at the end. Clues have been crushing on Alden like all week. I made you some, a lot of messages about that. I made some room for Joseph Quinn. I did some rearranging. <laughs> He's only a little one though, and I I managed to fit him in. There was a seat at the table, but now we yeah. are definitely full. There's no more room. Sorry. Sorry to all other men. I know you're very disappointed, but we're full up. <laughs> imagine if you imagine if like your source of power was from how many people thirst on you. Like like. Like, you know how, like, in, in another Monsters, Inc. reference, but, like, imagine if that's how you got power. Like, you were, like, your job was to go into, like, the human world and you had to be the most thirstable person and that would send energy back to power this whole other place. Wouldn't that be hilarious? 
I would be the weakest person on earth. <laughs> I think Hannah has just created a new word. Thirstable. thirstable. I like it. Um, I sounds like, like someone has lunchable, definitely said thirstable. <laughs> anyway, back to the movie. Chris, uh, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. what did you make of the of how, just how much action there was in relation to the story? Because I feel like in a typical action-heavy film, there's like a big, big sequence and then there'll be like two or three beats of story and then another big sequence and then there'll be two or three big beats of story. Here, there's like nine action sequences and a lot of the story, I guess, is told through that rather than having a break from the action and then having a story beat, if that, make, that makes sense. So how did you make, what did you make of the structure of this film? I I I would ask the question, what story? <laughs> I don't... I don't think anything ha- nothing happens in this movie, right? They're like, and everyone has such weird names. Court Court Gentry, you're Ryan Gosling, and they're all chasing <laughs> after Ryan Gosling because he found something. But then that's it. That's the movie. <laughs> they're just chasing him around, and like additional people join the chasing of Ryan Gosling. And then what really frustrated me. This is how thin the story is. There's an entire scene where they lay out the fact that this is bigger than all of them. They're like, somebody else is behind all of this. And then they just never tell. They never bring it up again. I suppose I always I saw that as like, oh, this is like setting up a sequel. Yep, 100%. But you have to, do you not, if you want a sequel, have to then end the movie being like, we need to go find the guy who's in charge of all of this. But the movie just ends as a movie would do. I just feel like I was you know very what, frustrated though? by this. Yeah, but I think the movie ends where it's like, that's not the end. Because of all the things that went into that ending coming about, there's like, the chases. I got it, but the chase continues. That's what I <laughs> um, Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I I, yeah. I, I will like call way... it an unfired Chekhov's gun. I'm going to put it down there. <laughs> The, the gun is still on the wall. It is rusting. <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying. I just like I've I've seen the flip side of that before as well. I've seen a film end with blatant sequel bait, and then nothing come of that. And I'd rather the movie end the way it does here, with it being at least semi-definitive on a couple of arcs, rather than just tease something which may or may not come to pass. Um, so yeah. I mean, I don't think the lack of story... I mean, you're right, it's so basic. There isn't really much story there. But I didn't need it, because in a way it's like... I just like the idea of a guy that, like, he's trying to survive, he's trying to... he He's kind of... I mean, of course, we've got the whole... Got the little chip and all this type of thing. But it felt like a quite, like, a basic 90s actioner, but with, like, far more 21st century action. And mm. I that that's appealing to me. I don't want convoluted... Do you know what I mean? Sometimes it's like, I don't want convoluted things going on. Like, it's just this guy who seems pretty pissed off that everyone's chasing him. That's what I loved about it. It's like, oh, God, can I just live my life? <laughs> I think well, I, I think you're, I think it doesn't, I don't think it suffers from not having much of a story because, again, I don't think it's, it's not, I don't think you're going into it. Like, no one's going to be like, oh, I really want to see it. It's like, it's like, one of those things, like, when you read a porn mags, like, I read it for the articles. It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> uh, speak Do you know what for I mean? yourself, Hannah, uh, but I actually... No, I'm joking. Um... Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, it's like, that, that's how I see it. It's like, 
you're going in there for the big, the aesthetic, the pictures. And I think it delivered on that front. Um, let's talk about another aspect the movie was really fun with, at least for me, the two main performances uh, in this, Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. Chris Evans in particular, um, you know, after playing Captain America for a decade, uh, who was like the sort of most purest hero that we've probably gotten over the on screen in ages, um, you know, to distance yourself from a character like that would take some take a role. It would take a performance of <laughs> that, that just has to be you know very very different. And I feel like in this film in, in particular, it took within like five or ten minutes for me to just forget about the whole Captain America the world and just enjoy uh, what he was putting out on screen because he's having so much fun and I had a lot of fun watching him. What did you think of the two main performances, especially Chris Evans, Clarice? I think, I mean, this has been the interesting thing about the Russo brothers post Marvel careers that they've been, it feels very apologetic towards the actors that they've hired for the MCU because Cherry, they're like, oh, let's try and give Tom Holland the least Spider-Man role out there as like a PTSD afflicted, uh, drug addicted veteran. Um, and it didn't really work because like Tom Holland's strength is all the stuff you put into Spider-Man. And I feel the same about this is that they're like, well, you know, let's give Chris Evans like the most opposite role to Captain America possible. And I think he did this same shtick in Knives Out very well. I think yeah. here it did not work, especially Ooh. because they they were they spend the whole movie being like, my God, that guy's such a sociopath. He's so crazy. But you can't do that in a movie where you're playing, where you're acting as Caesar against Ryan Gosling, who I love because he's never, he's always unhinged in every movie. He's never been hinged at any point in his cinematic career. And it just like, I think it really, <laughs> like, you can see what's authentic and what's inauthentic in those performances, which is not a drag on Chris Evans's talent. I just think, I, I don't think he's... Well, no, because he's good. This is the thing. He was good in Knives Out and he he was good in Scott Pilgrim. That character he's good at. I don't think he's good at the like crazy sociopath, whatever this vibe was meant to be. Are you, Chris, are you saying Chris Evans forced his performance here? Is that what you're saying? I just think he was mis... Or just that he was miscast. Like, I, I don't think he can do this performance as well. As Ryan Gosling probably could, because Ryan Gosling is terrifying all of the time, and that's why I love him. I think, I think, when you get like the backstory of like who who he is, and again, like, I think like the when I think of the Army Hammer thing, I think about like the social network. It's like, do you know what I mean that sort of Winklevoss um, twin type thing? It's like I can see it, but I think it's less. I think maybe it's because of the writing, because I actually really enjoy Chris Evans' performance. I think you're right. If you're going to set someone up to be a psychopath, you shouldn't have to keep saying it. And I think that's a yeah. problem with the script. So, like, if they hadn't had those in the script, I think you might have been able to enjoy it and appreciate it for what it was. I saw him as this, like, really, like, yeah, like, this kind of just, like, a not, like, white male overprivileged kind of fails his way up, but is also, like, got these, like, frat boys. Said, that's, that's who I saw him as, rather than, like, this, like, you know what I mean? How you're saying, like, sadistic. I mean, he is a sadistic type of fact, but mm. maybe they needed to show that a little bit more. Like, if he's a sadist, you need to... Like, I know they did the nail thing. That was horrible. But, like, that's kind of basic. 
but then I suppose the whole idea you're stealing a child's I know I know it sounds basic but like and I mean like the nail pulling things is quite a simplistic I know it's torture and stuff like that but like you know when I, I think about what was the thing where I don't know like if you have like it could have been a gorier I don't know yeah like it or it's like imagine gory. Mads Mikkelsen in this role who like right. doesn't yeah, need exactly. to flinch and you're like fucking hell that man's scary like I think it's just yeah. every there's a lot about this movie for me that felt very overlabored and it's like poor uh Regé Jean Page who was like <laughs> trying to play the CIA guy and there's a scene in a bathroom where he's meant to be freaky out and he's like slapping the hand the hand towel dispenser and it's well, too oh, that's much who I think was miscast I think yeah I think Regé Jean and Jessica Hennick were miscast they're too young for it um i didn't think they tried to age them up <laughs> with the like the deirdre wig and like the glasses <laughs> and the facial hair um and that didn't really work for me here's another thing which i've been seeing a lot of people say online about this movie which i'm intrigued to get your take on this movie costs 200 million does it look cheap to you because to a lot of people it looks <laughs> cheap apparently online yeah I think some of this, the, well, yes and no. I don't think it's necessarily about the cost. I mean, there's I, people have been on Twitter. There's been an entire discussion about the state of VFX at the oh, moment yes. of, um, you know, people being really, really pushed over the line, overworked, not paid enough, and essentially studios not investing enough into their special effects teams. And that it does come across in the movies. So I would say it, it looks cheap, but kind of in the same way that some of the Marvel $200 million movies at the moment have, have some really like dodgy effects because of this thing that it's all being done last second. I don't know the, that's not to say I don't know the history of The Grey Man, how it's produced, who, what VFX teams worked on it, whether they were paid well. I don't know any of the history of that. But it gives me the same vibe. Like, there's a scene with a plane crash that I just thought looked awful. That was bad. Looked really bad. That was bad. Um, Gave me red notice vibes. (laughs) I can't even remember that. that, that, It doesn't get much more damning than that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, I I do agree with you on that particular scene. Um, Yeah. I think uh, more people could basically take a Christopher Nolan view of using vfx because i think to say that i i i really get frustrated when people moan about vfx it's like like saying oh we need practical effects like yeah sure but like vfx is more than just creating like a plane crash vfx is actually like antenna part of the vfx work was removing things so like they had a real jumbo jet but they had to put the fire in it they had to the engines they have to put all these things in it there is so there's so many nuances that vfx work provides that is more than just like, you know, the obvious things, you know, green screen stuff. So I kind of get really frustrated when people bang on about that. But I think Christopher Nolan really understands how to have a marriage between practical and visual effects. And I think if people are willing, and even like I look back to like Independence Day, and I think we did that, um, well, we did that uh, thing with you, Clarice, like Mm. that, that was one of the, you know, turning points for showing how you can achieve practical effects like creating models and all that type of stuff and still making it look like people were literally like scared that the white house got blown up (laughs) when that movie came out like when the trailer for that came out so i don't know top god maverick i think top god that's a really good one that's 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 the gold standard right now um yeah yeah. so it's possible and and it does yeah 
I just think this had some not and that's the thing it's not just the VFX fault it's also how you stage the scene and how much you rely on the VFX and the and the cinematography aspect and it's yeah some of the scenes to me just looked very like with Star Wars wasn't it the Mandalorian and this is why Leonardo DiCaprio went to visit the set of Mandalorian because there's like also there what's the environmental impact of doing practical effects and flying out to these places and stuff and sometimes it does it is better for the environment if you do things on a set rather on a green screen or something like that wasn't am i right it's, there, um, like yeah stage it's, it's, i'm it's, very it's, pro stagecraft yeah the volume yeah. which is using yeah. led screens as opposed to green screen so you can mm, right that's it it's a lot better for the lighting and they use that on thor love and thunder and i think that looks i don't know people have been complaining about it i thought parts of love and thunder looked really nice the the bits that you could tell was shot on the volume uh parts of it did Parts of it didn't. Yeah. Wasn't tight. But I think the um, parts that were very obviously on the volume with the lighting, the lighting looks is better. Is that the black and white one? Because that looked amazing for me. Yeah, black no, that was great. That was, that, that was yeah. definitely the best, the most visually striking film that's seen in the film. Um, but yeah, nah, there, there's a ongoing conversation about the volume, which I do agree is very, very useful. But in some of the more recent Star Wars projects, Book of Boba Fett, and even Obi-Wan Kenobi, you could feel the presence of the volume as you're watching it, which is not something that I don't think... I didn't. You know. <laughs> well, at least, I mean, Maybe I, my eyes have not adjusted <laughs> to that volume. I, too, know, but yeah. I, like I think they look pretty good. I think it Star looks Wars. good. And even I think, even if you can tell that it's the... Vo- I think it looks nicer than the CGI because it at least looks more theatrical because there's a sense of mm. like there's dimensions to it so i feel like i would always even if it looks bad this is just me personally i would always choose a volume i need to watch this imagineers series that's on the the is it there's, there's a new one out i got the screeners for it where it's like what, light and magic yeah light and magic yeah i need to watch that because i reckon they'll have that invo- they'll have that covered mm. don't they anyway anyway uh let's wrap up our discussion on the gray man, are we going to agree or are we going to have a disagree man mint? No, it doesn't work. Oh my God. Um, I appreciate the answer. There is It does work. Uh, the gray man is still showing in some cinemas, so it's time for our screen stream or skip recommendations. Clarice. I'm a skip. I'm sorry. I didn't enjoy this one. I, I napped a little tiny bit. I'm sorry, sorry. Wow. Forgive me, Ryan wow. Gosling. Forgive me, Ryan Gosling. I'm sorry. <laughs> and you guys thought you had to wait until the end of the episode for a hot take. Uh, I'll turn Hannah. up for Barbie. I'll turn up for Barbie. I'll be there for Barbie, but just not this one. Clarice does not have the Kennedy I don't have the for Kennedy. the gray man. <laughs> He's um, called a I... Ken doll by Chris Evans in this film, by the way. It's great. <laughs> I wonder if they did a few takes and then they kept that one in after it was revealed. He was obviously test. Also, mm. um, funnily enough, Chris Evans' brother is in the Barbie movie. Oh. He, to- he, told, me, he told me this week. Uh, and just mm. to add, um, I don't think it's up yet, but I've got like an MTV uh, movies interview with um, with Chris, Ryan, uh, Regajon Page and uh, Anna Diarmas. Uh, if you want to watch it, it should be out this weekend. Although weirdly, Ryan did a separate interview to those two, and I'm like, there must be beef. <laughs> There's clearly because it's like, why would you have three of them in one and only Ryan Gosling on there? It's like, 
drama. I feel like Ryan Gosling has such weird energy and he can't... That's why I like him. No, no, no. He doesn't have weird energy. He has weird energy. Energy. Sorry. Well, okay. Anyway, mine is mine is uh, mine is screen. I really had a lot of fun with it, and I feel like it. It's the type of film that I'd. I if I was going to see it, I would first see the action on a big screen. And I saw it at Dolby, so I and I, although Clarice fell asleep, I was I had my rapt attention. <laughs> oh gosh, I want to be sat next to one of you guys as you fall asleep in the movie. It would be hilarious. Um, it was for like 30 seconds. I didn't miss anything. Uh-huh. My eyes just were resting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm it's, sorry. It's, it's a screen for me as well. Uh, I had a blast with this. Um, I hope we get a sequel. Um, really, really interesting pieces on the board. We didn't even really talk about Ryan Gosling and his little uh, cute relationship with uh, the kid he's trying to protect. Uh, kind of, I always like dynamics like that, and that one I think was done particularly well. Um, so yeah, I liked it. Good job, Russo's. Keep making really good independent movies. We'll try and support you where we can. Um, <laughs> from daddies to core daddies, it's time for where the core dads sing. In town, they tell the story of the Marsh Girl, the one who grew up alone in the wild, but they never really knew me. Like most stories, the facts don't weigh into it. Take me down to the paradise city where the crawdad sings and the girl are pretty. Cause they got Daisy Echo Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, where the crawdads sing, a totally unproblematic film. <laughs> Nat, full for a um, quote. Okay, so, abandoned as a girl, Kaya raised herself in the dangerous marshlands of North Carolina. For years, rumours of the marsh girl haunted Barkley Cove, isolating the sharp and resilient Kaya from her community. Drawn to two young men from town, she opens herself to a new and startling world. However, when one of them is found dead, Kaya immediately becomes the main suspect. As the case unfolds, the verdict as to what happened becomes increasingly unclear, threatening to reveal many secrets. Directed by Olivia Newman, the screenplay by Lucy Alabar stars Daisy Edgar Jones, Taylor John Smith, Harris Dickinson, Michael Hyatt, Sterling Mesa Jr., and David Strathairn. So I feel like, do we not need to like do a little quick um, disclaimer? <laughs> what, is, what is the legal disclaimer we can use? Shall I read the legally? I shall I give? Uh, yeah. Shall I give some context mm. to the author? And I'm going to read from my review, which has been passed yeah. by a legal so, team, so we yeah. don't get sued. Um, so Delia Owens, who wrote Where the Crawdads Sing, is currently wanted for questioning by the Zambian authorities over a piece of ABC news footage that appears to show the shooting and killing by persons unknown of an unidentified poacher on a wildlife reserve overseen by Owens and her husband, Mark. There is a New Yorker piece from 2010 that I have read, and if you are interested in the context uh, surrounding Delia Owens... I would recommend just going to read that because that has also been passed by a legal team. <laughs> and that, that says things that we can't say on this podcast. So I, I would go read that. Wild. So with that in mind, uh, so I didn't see it because I was kind of aware of this stuff. And I was like, eh, do I do I have time? But also I just didn't have time to do it. But these guys have. So I suppose then 
Yeah. Let's, uh, Clarice, what did you think? What, what, what do we think of the story? Um, story bad. <laughs> story no good. That's the criticism <laughs> they come to the fate of that pod for. I mean, like, I, I have started reading the book for, for other podcast reasons. And, um, the, what, the book has this slightly different vibe where it's it's a yeah it's about this one this woman who has a deep connection to nature and there's this idea that like the laws of nature she's protected by them and she supersedes the laws of humanity because like nature is always above man which is at least like kind of i mean you could say it's pretty questionable i don't know you could debate that away but um that at least has sort of it has like a thematic quality a thematic edge to it uh i would say this movie is just like the nicholas sparksification of the book <laughs> it, it really hones in on the love triangle between kaya uh uh tate who's like the just nice boy very bland and nice uh played by taylor john smith and then also Chase Andrews, who's like the rich boy, kind of a dick. Well, a lot of a dick, played by Harris Dickinson. <laughs> um, and and the idea is that she's like, oh, she's a mysterious outsider because she's she's from the marsh and and she won't leave. Kaya, I know you you're not gonna leave the marsh, but I love you, Kaya. There's like a lot of speeches like that. <laughs> oh yeah, and. I just found the whole thing like kind of offensive because it's it's meant to be a story about marginalization that she's been accused of this murder because she is a like wildly marginalized person because of of her poverty and her her status sort of living outside of the town but then every, every time they cut to her house and to her it's like it's like they've gone oh yeah let's do white rural poverty as like a hashtag swamp core aesthetic it's like everything is so over designed and pristine and like like there's a scene where she goes into town and it's meant to be the first time she's wearing makeup and everyone in the town is like oh my god like Kaya's wearing makeup and she's never brushed her hair before she looks exactly the same as in every other scene in the movie because <laughs> she is always wearing makeup she has so much like contour and blush on and her hair is always combed and styled and curled and like it just feels it made me just feel weird because it felt like it was taking the status of marginalization as something like cute and romantic and like almost desirable and it just I, it gave me such an ick it seems like they've kind of disney it like you know when like yes. cinderella is like in poverty but she's still like pristine in cinderella's defense like she has like her hair up in a bun with a thing, you know, she's scrubbing, yeah. you know, she, <laughs> she's, she's like, she had Cinderella is actually marginalized. At least this girl, like, I don't know. They don't really establish the marginalization of this character. They just keep saying that she's marginalized. I'm like, say marginalized one more time. <laughs> just, I don't um, know. Amon, how how did how did you feel about? I suppose like, I mean, because you haven't read the book, so you have. I assume you haven't read the book. No. Um, so I suppose with, without that in mind, did it work for you? And also, like, can we talk about a bit about the diversity of this film because it seems quite mm. white. It's very white. 
it's one of those films that makes you wonder how the book became a hit in the first place. Because um, this like was like a big like 2018 uh, hit, like, novel-wise, right, Chris? It's apparently one of the best... Uh, it's 12 million copies, which apparently makes it one of the best-selling books of all time, which I yeah, but find so outrageous. Yeah, but it's like Fifty Shades of Grey, like... True, like but I've heard with, of with that, like, even though even, even though the films are like, not great, I, with that I can understand the appeal. No, the, the books are fucking awful. They're so <laughs> badly written. But what I'm saying is like, there's this weird. I I, I personally feel because it's like a, if you're saying it's a kind of romantic as well. There's that, that like love triangle mm. element with yeah. white people in the role. Like, I clearly a lot of women. <laughs> <laughs> like, do yeah. you know what I mean? It's like there's a weird app. It's not a weird appetite, but I think the Rome. I think not to say it's again. I can't just can't judge a book I haven't read, but I do think romance is a kind of whole genre that is yes. often the best, often bestsellers. People like the escapism, and also rom- romance genre is just ro- is just overflowing with these type of white stories, white love triangles with poor girl, rich guy moderately like normal guy and it's like oh what goes on you know what i mean it just it mm. seems like pretty and as someone who often uses it reads like not reads but sometimes to send myself to sleep i might listen to an audiobook of a bit trashy billionaire romance story <laughs> it's like it just reeks of that you know what i mean that is so that's method. how i think it becomes a bestseller <laughs> yeah it's so basic i'm just surprised because i've literally never heard of it until this movie came out yeah. and it's apparently one Me of the neither. greatest selling books of all time but but we did yeah, so no, well. To, we did so well. <laughs> to get to your question in terms of the whiteness of it all and the two black characters, like this is a film, this is a story that's meant to take place in the 1950s, 1960s. So black characters are being persecuted. And we do get a tiny semblance of that. But this is still very much a to the black characters doing everything they can to service the white character kind of story. There's no interiority given to them at all, um, which is obviously a bummer. And what did you think about... You like Daisy Edgar-Jones, don't you? So what do you think I about do. I thought she was really, really good in this. You know, I just... She... she it's, it's It wasn't even that surprising because we've seen her play this type of character before. We know that she's very good at being vulnerable on screen. We know that she is very good at showing strength on screen when the occasion calls for it. And there are multiple occasions throughout the course of this film in which we see those two uh, sort of strengths of hers come to the fore. So all of that is really, really good. I just think that she needs to be careful with how she picks up projects because, as I say, we've seen this now. I'd like to see her play uh, other colours in different films because um, I feel like with normal people... You want thre- her to... What? You know what I mean. (laughs) You and your dirty mind. Um, (laughs) It's not a dirty mind, it's a racial mind. I'm like, what are you saying? Uh, What uh, colours? No. She's white enough. (laughs) This is not me saying Daisy Edgar Jones should go with the Scarlett Johansson mood or... (laughs) She is the new Black Panther. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Can you imagine? Um, But, yeah, I'd like to see her showcase some other strengths uh, rather than the sort of same beats that we've seen from her and other characters before. Because I feel like in Normal People and Fresh, in this, there's a lot of similarities there. Um, but she is, you know, really, really strong actress. It's just that the, the film which in which the, the, the script that she's being served with, not even she can uh, sort of she's just make like, it. Yeah. 
an outsider, you know, she's oh so gorgeous and misunderstood by society and just doesn't get her, even though she's British. <laughs> she's just a posh outsider. That's why it's so funny about Daisy Edgar Jones is that like, she's a Nepo baby. She's like gorgeous. And I think it's so hilarious to me that she keeps getting cast as these outsiders, like who are just struggling. You know what I mean? I found that funny. Anyway, Clarice, what do you think? Of Daisy Edgar Jones. Um... Yeah. Or in the film. Um, Tell me what you, what you think of her in general. No, I don't know. I've not met her. I, I don't know why, but I have this real issue. I just don't have a real issue, but I always find it interesting, like how easy it is for like a certain type of actress to suddenly go from do one thing and then get in everything. You know what I mean? It just doesn't come as easy as for like actresses of color or anything like that. That's why I sometimes kind of it's not her fault, but she's she's just basically like represents that to me of the ease through which white actors actresses can navigate the industry. Yeah, I I I haven't seen anything yet that's made me really go, "Oh, wow, Daisy Edgar Jones," which is not to say that she's not capable of it, but I think yeah, she's she's in very much in danger of getting boxed into like the waif yeah. roles. <laughs> have you seen have you seen normal people? Yeah. No. I think because normal people was the one that really sort of put her on the map, and that's the first one of her, you know, big things that I saw, and yeah, I was like, what okay, waif like outsider. What's she in for it? Fresh waif like outsider. What's she in? This? I know, Hannah. I was going to make the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I I get that, but um, yeah, I think she's gonna just pick pick different projects. I also like David Strathern uh, in general, and. T- typically, you know, the stuff that he's been asked to do in this film, David Strathairn, the stuff that he's asked to do in this film, I should be all for because I'm a sucker for courtroom stuff. I love watching courtroom stuff. It's like one of my favorite things to watch on screen. But here, it just, like, some of the arguments that the prosecution especially were throwing around in this, in the moment, I was like, but how, but why, why is this a good thing for your argument it's so weird it, it doesn't it didn't feel very well thought out like a, it should be a lot more clever uh in the courtroom in terms of the arguments in terms of the how the lawyers go at one another you didn't really get any of that in this film and i you know i i haven't read the book but i've heard that in the book it's sort of structured in three different uh, sort of uh segments in terms of her up, her 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 upbringing, how she gets into all this trouble, and then the courtroom stuff is just like all at the end section. Here they sort of try and intermingle all those timelines. So you got the courtroom stuff, uh, just randomly <laughs> being put into the film at various intervals. I didn't feel like that worked very well either. Yeah, I find the courtroom stuff is weird as well because, like, we are meant to be like so on her side again it goes back to this thing because she's marginalized Mm -hmm. but because like this film does such a bad job of like actually like portraying how and why she's marginalized it feels like the movie's like well you she's must be innocent because look at her she's she's pretty and skinny and white and like she whispers all her lines like she can't have possibly done this murder like i just got a i got a very weird vibe from all of it um but you know, hey, 
Okay. Okay. Well, at least those crawdads are happy. (laughs) I mean, the ones that aren't in film. That yeah, there's no no crawdads in the film. That's why they're happy. That's why they're singing. They got little tap shoes on, being like, excluded from the translation. Excluded from the narrative. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's vote. So this is out in cinemas, most places. Um, Are you saying a screen, stream, or skip? Amon. Skip for me. Clarice. Uh, Skip. You know what? I watched, uh, for work, I I rewatched Beautiful Creatures this week, which is also, I think it's South Carolina. But it's no, kind who stars of stars in that though. Who stars in that? Nobody. 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 But if you want, <laughs> if you want a story about a, a wafy, marginalized white girl in Carolina, watch Beautiful Who Creatures. Who is also an Epo baby. Also an Epo <laughs> baby. There's a lot of similarities, weird similarities between these two movies. Mm, <laughs> and I would always choose Beautiful Creatures because there's a scene where she disappears to the moon, and it's great. But also. No reason, nothing else, so nothing else to say. Golden error. <laughs> no comment. I have no comment uh. on the matter. <laughs> okay, well, that's a skippity doodah from these two. Um, I don't know. It's one of these things that, like, should I just go see it for the joke so I can rip it for the shreds? Like, sometimes, like, should I just go? Because I feel like, you know, luckily I get a really good deal with the cinema, so I don't technically, I can get to see, I got some free tickets for my Curzon thing, so I might, like, mm. If it's a free ticket, I might go see it. Then I'm not investing any money. I don't know. Let's see if I want to do that or sleep. Um, okay, so next we are going from... Um, well, yeah. From one tragedy to a real tragedy. Notre Dame sur feu. Here's Notre Dame on fire. Anticipation feu Notre Dame. Notre Dame brûle. Ça va les partir de partout, les officiels, les politiques, les célébrités. On va avoir deux feux à gérer. Il va falloir vous battre à quelques-uns. Paris est bloqué. Feu de toiture So yes, this is Notre Dame on fire, which offers a blow-by-blow recreation of the gripping events that took place on the 15th of April, and I think also into the 16th uh, of 2019, when the cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris you might know it, suffered the biggest blaze in its history. The film retraces how heroic men and women put their lives on the line to accomplish an awe-inspiring rescue um, of mostly relics, like the crown of thorns and a few other things. Uh, directed by Jean-Jacques Honnaud, it stars Samuel Labath, Jean-Paul Bord, uh, Michael Chérignan, uh, Jérémy Lahert, Maximilien Sivouen and Dimitri Storage. There's a mix of like French and not French names in that, so I'm sorry, I think I messed them all up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I feel like the easiest way to, to jump into this movie is immediately, you know, it's part of this, what I've noticed to be a growing trend of those like, yeah, blow by blow reconstruction, like Clint Eastwood, Ron Howard just made that Thai cave rescue movie 13 lives like this seems to be I would say like an increasingly popular way to tell stories or like true life stories and um Hannah I wondered you know is this a good example of that genre if you are even a fan of it in the first place which I think I am not (laughs) (laughs) this is like you know what it is 
no, I do find it interesting because I think it's there is something to be said about like understanding what went on exactly how cool and I think I remember when when it was ha- I remember when it was happening the knee-jerk reaction to everyone said this is a terrorist attack let's blame <laughs> let's blame ISIS not say that ISIS isn't blame it but I think it's it's interesting to see the kind of granular detail of how, what was happening but it's so badly written where it's literally like <laughs> it feels like a made for tv movie for the hallmark channel it's like just just everything about it seems like it's like there's weird bits of white exposition like there's a scene in it where like they've just the the general manager has like run from an event at the palace of the cyber they see his whole journey which is fucking hilarious i'm sorry but it's so <laughs> funny it's like my bike doesn't work oh i've got to get a line bike <laughs> like so many things that and i think the, i think maybe the problem is because the, the 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 score for this is so over the top like it's so unnecessary it's every through every moment it's like can you just literally like it would be far more tense if you didn't have the music because then you'd really understand the real action but there's a bit in it where they he's like trying to open up this box to get like the relics out it's like i think it's like i think it's like a nail from the crucifix but i should put all this in inverted commas because like again <laughs> did this guy actually exist or not it's <laughs> still up in the air but all these are relics they get it in and this guy from the ministry goes oh yeah, I've got here this, and it's in a box, a red box. You can't see it. It's like, oh yes, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. Oh, and I've got the crucifix in my pocket. It's like, why would like you only set like, and it's just talking to a random fireman. It's like, get the fuck out of the building. Why does that? So there's these little moments that feels totally unnecessary. It's like exposition heavy, and it's just not feel, and it feels inauthentic. It's so yeah, no, yeah. I, and it's just like sometimes like the camera work. Like there's a bit in it where like I don't know. It's 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 a guy like they finally got the fire out and it goes to like some general and it closes up on his hands like going like a like a fist like as in yes and then it pans up to his face and then pans down again and it's like oh this is so basic (laughs) yeah it's just kind of wild to me that this yeah it it felt felt like it was actors were amateur (laughs) direction was amateur (laughs) honestly I'm quite I was quite shocked when I saw it and knew who the director was and what they've done before. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to point out the scene where they're first evacuating the cathedral and there's a little girl who runs back in. <laughs> yeah, Chloe! To be like, no, Mama, I must Mama. light a candle! And she runs in and like this building starting to fill with smoke and this little girl's like, in which I think there's a quote at the very beginning that's a, a River Rowley quote that says like, you know, everything is true as implausible as it might seem. And it's like, I would put money down. I tried to look this up, but I would put money down that a little girl did not run back into the cathedral to light a candle <laughs> as it was burning. Uh, but Amon, I think Hannah mentioned some of the camera work. I mean, there's... I, I did think there was some interesting stuff with the when they're trying to go up the staircases because obviously Notre Dame is a very old building. These these very claustrophobic stone stairways. Could you talk? Did you were you impressed by any of the handling of that? I know they built these gigantic sets for it. Uh, it's very like backdraft <laughs> vibes, <laughs> but Notre Dame. So yeah, no, nah, I think that's probably where the film was at its best because they were putting us in the firefighters POV and you really did feel 
like you were with them at various stages of this film as they're trying to fight this fire. Um, so yeah, the camera work is probably um, where the film was at its best. But as you guys were saying, there's <laughs> other stuff in this film, like with the child, like with the woman and her cat on the roof, which is something that's never paid off in the film. <laughs> well, just like the, the tonal dissonance is just, it was really weird. I don't understand why you would even include that, especially if you're not going to pay it off. Um, so, so yeah, um, the, the, the firefighter stuff, I liked other stuff, not so much. Okay. Well, I think we, we've covered most of this, but Hannah, I, let's, chat one more thing about i mean i remember the day that that happened and like i've always been very torn up about like where to stand on the notre dame like discourse because like it is just a building <laughs> nobody died all of the relics were saved and in in the vast like sphere of disasters and awful things happening in the world it didn't it doesn't really matter but at the same time like it was very upsetting to watch i think and i think especially for like a lot of a lot of french people because it's such a symbol and i know the director jean jacques uh you know was talking about you know he had memories from his childhood i think a lot of french people have like or parisians especially have got a, a connection to it and it's it's like i know for me it was viscerally upsetting to watch it burn uh but yeah and i wondered hannah you know like for you I struggled because this film like didn't fucking communicate any of that, like why it mattered that the Notre Dame was burning, because I mm. think you can make the argument that it was a tragedy and it was incredibly sad because of what it represented. There's lots of arguments against it. How do you feel? How do you feel the film expressed those? Yeah, I think you're right. It was so focused on like, yeah, because even they had moments where that felt very forced as well. Like everything, I, I get if it's trying to say these things happen, but the whole point about, <clears throat> and I think we've had this conversation before about like documentary versus like fi fiction and like how are you able to kind of present the truth but massage it so it feels a bit more, I don't know, emotive. Like there's a bit where like a a, a, a guy, a priest like priest like goes to the floor and he's like about the, the crown or something, like getting that bit. And then there's a bit where they burst into song you know, everyone's singing as well. And then you hear someone crying and it was, and all of it just felt quite disjointed. It's like, that wasn't, I think what it needed is like, like a, it needed a focal point, like a, like a character in there that you could build around, like a fake, mm. it needed maybe like, you know, like just have a fake character who's basically stands in, he's a stand in for like the general public where you can maybe like create something and understand and get different points of view, but put it into that perspective. And that's why I think it would have articulated better. But like, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think, you know, at the same time, I think for so lots of religious people who are religious and Catholics, that like, or whatever, Christians, they'll find it as see it as a symbolic place, a place you can pill, you go pilgrimage to. So I understand that. I understand it's like an eight, you know, it's 800 year old building. But I, it, it, it's something about it that, you know, it's not a disaster the way there was that Lebanese Beirut port disaster. Like, I feel like, it, I think that was the same year. Mm -hmm. And like people died, people literally died. And when you have people, and it's interesting who produced the film, Francois Pinot, um, whose son is Henry, uh, Francois Henry Pinot, who's married to Salma Hayek, who, who was all like Louis Vuitton. It's like, 
And I remember at the time, everyone was like, let's give money to rebuilding of Notre Dame Cathedral and all this. It's like, wow, like, no, like you said, no one died. Like, and I get it's a building and it was already in the middle of renovations. Like, why, why do we not hear this sort of noise when real people's lives are in at danger? So I don't know, like, I, I'm inter I, I find it interesting subjects to see what happened again. And also it's kind of the way we dispel the notion of like, what caused it like bad wiring, <laughs> old wiring, not Arab attack <laughs> uh, so easily is so easily blamed. But yeah, I think it lost. It didn't have the human element. That's the problem. It didn't really have the human element. If they had like one firefighter, like one bystander, maybe someone who worked there and had like focus on those things rather than having like really cheap bits. You know what I mean? Also just state like everything felt staged in a way that I know it's staged because it's a film, you know, but there's a bit where like a woman like has a candle and we see the candle and then we watch the camera follow her. She goes, she does like crosses her body. And it just looks so, fa It like, it doesn't look authentic. It looks like she's just been asked to do that. And I, I don't know if it's they've got real people to try and to get that authenticity, but sometimes it's like, uh, you need some elephant of performance to get people to understand why this is such a tragic circumstance. But from this, I just felt like, okay. Are you surprised that we've gotten this film so soon after the tragedy happened? No. But again, it's not a tragedy. <laughs> mm. Is it, is, is it a tragic? Like, I, I, I feel like it's only tragic if people die. If someone loses their life in something, I find that a tragedy. Yeah. It's... This is an old, old building. Old, old buildings don't survive. And it's funny how, like, we can happily demolish, like, buildings all the time, but suddenly this building. Do you know what I mean? I feel like there's so many old buildings that get demolished. It's yeah. Like... <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll argue I for the, like you know you know i like history blah 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 blah. like there's there's this i think there's always a sadness to losing history like i get very sad thinking about what happened to the parthenon and like the way it got abused over and then the english came and just took everything and it's just and now it's like covered in acid rain like that's it makes me sad but it's not a it's not a tragedy that's and i think like maybe i feel like maybe this should have been a documentary where people could have actually talked about that and had a debate about like it's interesting the way this film yeah. felt that way it felt yeah. like a docudrama and it's like if this would had if this had like snippets of talking heads and people being interviewed for it it would have sold the the, the fiction the fictional reconstruction as it would look it, you could say oh it's a reconstruction fine yeah. they're supposed to look naff like they often look naff but that brings us to screen stream or skip for Notre Dame on fire uh, Amon what's your take <sighs> I didn't hate this um, as much as <laughs> you guys could so I'm going to say stream um, you know I don't have a personal connection to Notre Dame and there are some sort of, uh, things that totally just don't work uh, but in terms of the preserving history of it all, that came through. In terms of the intensity of the day, that comes through. So I think if people wanted to find out more of what happened that day, this is probably a solid starting point. So I'm going to say stream. Hannah? Yeah, I might, I might say stream. I think it's definitely an easy one to watch at home. Probably a bit too long as well, like two hours. You that I agree with. It. 
Um, am I, I'm going to go three skips this week. I'm sorry. I'm not vibing. Ooh. I'm not vibing with the week. I feel like... I feel like, yes, if you wanted to learn about it, but I already knew everything because on April 15, 2019, I was reading the articles as they came out. That's such a good point. That is such a good point. It's like, do you need to see this film or could you just read an Wikipedia, article? Wikipedia. Um, this, is, this is part of why I was asking, are you surprised that we're getting it so soon after it happened? No. Yeah, like I'm not surprised because, you know, the money to be made, but I think but it's I also weird think... to make it so soon. I think also it's part of the we're going to be opening two years. Don't forget about this. Like Notch Dam is getting get rid. You know what I mean? Put it back in the public consciousness that people know. Yeah, because it's. I think it, I think what I read is that it's opening on April twenty. It's meant to be for the Olympics. For the Olympics. Yeah. Oh. Um, so. Yeah, but you know what? Watch um watch Hunchback and Notch Dam. Yeah, that's called Paris is Burning in that movie as well. So that's a better mm. movie about Paris being on fire. <laughs> yeah. But sadly, sadly, proper slut shames its lead. Do you know Esmeralda? Yeah. It was a Disney yeah. princess and then they removed her status because like parents felt she was a bit, because it was got low, it really got low doll sales. And part of it is because like. Wow. I had yeah. the doll because I well, thought she was really hot. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Apparently, the guy, the guy who was the guy who did DVD extras, uh, the director said, "Oh, we wanted to make her look like she's been around a bit." It's like, wow. So they really like slut shamed. Uh, well, that's interesting because oh, Meg is also not a Disney princess, even yeah. though Have you noticed Megara this? was. Yeah. 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 I've just I've just written about uh, Hercules a little bit for his twenty five year anniversary. And Don't that get is me started on that about. movie. Don't get me started mm. on that movie. Oh, uh, history. <laughs> now, um, it's going to be in the... History? No. It's, it's Her- myth and legend. No, I'm saying don't, get me, don't get me started on how much I love that movie, even though it, yeah. The, oh, the... okay. I thought you were going in a complete different direction. I'm so happy oh. to hear you say that, Chris. It's my, it's um... my second favourite <laughs> Disney movie after Lilo and Stitch, which is the number one. I still haven't seen it. I know I'm bad. Um... <laughs> Anyway, uh, it's time. You do a very good stitch. It's the only impression oh. I can do. I used to watch Lido and Stitch all the time on Dig It. Do you uh, the TV show? It? Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Dig It was like, used to do like all the Disney shows, like Recess and all that on a Saturday morning. That I used to watch. Recess, Batman, there's a Zorro cartoon, which was great. Simone and Pumbaa. Why did the Zorro cartoon? It was uh. so good. I've tried hunting we it down such since. We great TV. We really in the 90s. did. And now, now, I mean, I, I sometimes go to <laughs> visit my niece, nieces and nephews and some of the stuff they watch, I'm like, man, you guys don't know. You, you, you can't get them on uh, Disney Plus and get them to watch X-Men Nights. Like, oh, night, night. Believe me, when they are of the right age, I've got like a whole, I've got Disney Plus, I've got hard drives and stuff. Let's, let's let's educate you, my friend. But but also, I'm like... gonna defend kids. T- kids TV now is very good. I'm just gonna say you, they're watching the wrong TV shows. There's really <laughs> great kids TV out there. Go on, what are they? Um, oh, there's like fuck. It's the one that just went on Netflix. I have people I know who my friends who wrote for it. It's called Par- Paranormal Park or something. Oh and yeah, I've seen that. I was of it. Watch it. It looks great. Like that stuff it. is great. Uh, what's the one with the dog? The dog and the boy. 
Adventure Time. Teen Titan Go. Teen Titans Go is actually pretty good. Teen Titans Go. Not as good as Teen Titans, but yeah. That's good kids. Oh, it's so much better. It's so I don't really want I love it. And there's also DC Superhero Girls, which is quite fun. Mm. And then there was a crossover episode where it's DC Superheroes and Teen Titans in a movie. I've been very sad and I've been watching these things to distract me. <laughs> Not as good as the Justice League animated series, which is still the best super animated series of all time. But we're getting off track. <laughs> Again. Minus. Oh, is Sailor Moon a superhero? She is, technically, isn't she? Sailor Moon. Hmm. It's Sailor, Sailor Moon, sorry. No discussion. <laughs> no discussion. Speaking of women oh. in, who are superheroes. Oh, I said no discussion. It's Sailor Moon. <laughs> <laughs> you Thank just, you for joining no, in. I'm doing that. You can't, just, you can't just say no discussion after making a statement like that. We are going to discuss it after this podcast because it is time for our MCU hasn't exactly had the greatest track record with its female characters. Black Widow and Avengers Age of Ultron, for example. That said, a new piece by Randy Jones for, for Daily Beast has suggested that four phases deep, it's been pretty harrowing how women have been portrayed in the MCU and it's not getting any better. Uh, Hannah, I'm going to come to you first here because I know that you had some strong thoughts on this. Uh, Yes, there have been a couple of characters within the MCU that Wendy mentions in their piece. Uh, but there have been a few characters in Phase 4, female-wise, that have really worked, right? Yeah, I uh, I think when you cherry-pick what films to include or what characters include, you can certainly make an argument. But I think if you don't include Captain Marvel and even Black Widow as a film, I know technically that's a prequel, but like... I, I, I thought that was very strong in how they represented it. It not only gave it felt, I think with Black Widow, not only gave Natasha like an exit, you know, I mean, gave her time to shine on her own, but contextualize her and also did a really great job as establishing the her, like Florence Pugh as Yelena, as a new hero to get excited about. Um, I think uh, Captain Marvel, that was another one, another, another film that I think not only did right by its lead, but also in its, like, as Maria Rambo, I really like Lashana Lynch as Maria Rambo because, you know, it's not just the token best friend. It's, she had agency and she had autonomy and she created, there was space for her to be a hero as well, separate from Captain Marvel. I thought that was really done. And obviously she's a mum, but she's also a pilot. And I can, and that also sets up that we see the continuation of that storyline within one division. I mean, look, some people didn't like, I didn't mind the one that I like more of us madness. As we've said before in this thing, I do agree that there are some characters who, um, you know, have been, you know, have been sidelined more than they should. Lady Sif, I would have liked to see more from her. I think we talked about this so before, didn't Lady Sif, like, isn't the reason why we didn't have Lady Sif come back before is because she did that TV show Blindspot, Jamie Alexander. So... Yeah, I think the Lady Sif, which is one of the characters that Randy mentioned in their piece, I am a big fan of that character. Uh, I thought she was used very well in the first Thor film, especially. In Thor Ragnarok, she doesn't come back because Jamie Alexander, the actress who plays her, was filming a show called Blindspot. 
Um, and the reason why, <laughs> on the one hand, I like it, and on the other hand, I don't, is because in Thor Ragnarok, Taika Waititi, director of that film, basically just kills the Warriors 3 in very, very quick fashion. I'm pretty sure Thor has still not mentioned their names <laughs> since uh, that happened. And if Jamie Alexander wasn't busy filming Blindspot, she would just be another very quick casualty. You don't um, know that, though. The thing is, no, you can here's, say that. Here's, here's, here's why I'm saying that. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting to it. Because in, in Thor, Love and Thunder, we see the return of Lady Sif. And she's in it for like maybe one scene and a half. And I get that there's other characters to serve and other stories to tell. But the fact that the film seems so uninterested with Lady Sif in Love and Thunder, despite bringing her back, leads me to believe that she would just have been another very quick casualty in Thor Ragnarok because there's no space for her in this film. Um, but that I, I so disagree with that because, okay. again, like you said, I think there's also something to be said about supporting characters. Supporting characters don't have to have the same level of coverage, depth. Like, I'm not saying depth, but like they don't need as much space to develop their story as the lead. That's why they're supporting characters. Part of their job is to prop up the lead one. I think with her, if he didn't want her, if he didn't want to give her things, he would he would have just left left her like, oh, she's got injured, she's back think she's back in Asgard, that's it. But she now has made her the teacher of this new lab generation of Asgardian warriors and I think that's establishing her a new that's given her a new career path now so whatever it is she's going to be there so whatever they want to do with it I think if he didn't care about that he wouldn't have bothered doing that or didn't care about Sif but I think there's this weird like I think now we have got more women than ever and I don't get me wrong I do think I have I have always said the MCU has handled their women really badly that's why that's why the Avengers you know, that meetup of the women felt very faux feminist, faux feminist. And we're seeing actually some a lot of corrective surgery um, on on their character arcs. I think, but I do, I, I just, I, I think the idea that like, the, the idea that what we're seeing now is misogynist treatment. I, I don't, I don't think that's a word that can be applied to say, because the main thing was Mighty Thor. I think it was a great storyline. Um, I think everything about that she had this autonomy and agency that and even with the cat even with a cancer storyline like you know she's she's got so many vulnerabilities and it's all about what she wants to do for herself and the what she wants to control her life and feels like this cancer has taken over the control and that by being thought it gives her gives her gives her purpose again like she knows she's gonna die and so then so and she knows it's you know feeling weak but instead of like saying, okay, well, I'll live my life out. I'll, I'll literally fight to the end because it's better that I do this with my life than getting some, you know, small chance of a love story with Thor if I survive. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's beautiful. Um, I think Wanda, I know people don't like it, but I love the up and down with that character because she's always been sometimes good, sometimes bad. It just depends on where she is. And I think the idea, like taking that storyline from the book, from the comic book of her, wanting to find her children. I didn't mind I didn't mind that. And again, it's her her agency where she chooses to end stuff. And again, can you kill the Scarlet Witch? I don't think so. Like, so I 
there is so much power in what she wants to do for herself and calling people out and calling out like even for it's like why can you do dark magic but i can't like i know just to mother mother people and giving her this own storyline but i think also like as someone who finds it really annoying that people can't be child 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 free i felt that it was quite especially all the trauma that person's gone through you can see how different it's thought all the trauma he's gone through makes him want to fight more all the trauma she's gone through it can send you on darkness like i think that's what's so interesting about grief and the way that can tip your moral compass depending on the way you look at things so i don't know i think it's better and we've got black panther 2 coming out we've got the marvels and not to mention all this all the tv series and i don't think you could not include tv series because i feel it's all part of the same universe miss marvel which i thought was amazing one division i loved hawkeye i loved like i just feel like what are people looking at there are so many great female characters right now Chris, i'm gonna get you on this what's, what's your take I say, yeah, I definitely, I would say post Endgame, which that's like the beginning of Phase 4, right? Everything post Endgame. Um, yeah. I think has massively improved. Like, I can see, I can see the effort being made to provide better representation in a lot of fields, like, you know, like LGBTQ, severely the most lacking. But I can see the effort being made, and I think with the female characters, there's such a great lineup now. Yeah, as you said, especially if you include the TV shows. Uh, Layla from Moon Knight. Fucking hell, I, I love her. I didn't even mention Layla. Oh my God, I love her. <laughs> like that, what a brilliant... And I think as well, what I really like is is the variety. And we're really starting to move away from these one-sided, like black widow like she's strong and she's serious and she's got to deal with the boys um you know and this is the thing even with wanda i i really did not like how she was written in uh multiverse of madness because i find the line i'm not a monster i'm a mother insane (laughs) uh but I it's i think i i still appreciate the general direction of that character and I think it's cool to have that character, but then also somebody like Kate Bishop, uh, who's funny and weird, and and then to have um, like Mantis in Guardians of the Galaxy, I love. I'm really excited to Nebula. see uh, Nebula. Like, um, I'm really excited to see those characters again in Guardians of the Galaxy three Christmas special and whatever's coming out first. Like, I think that this is what I've always wanted out of representation. Is I want like every every woman to be represented so that it's not just like here's the woman character and she's perfect and she's great and she can do everything don't you feel empowered by that and what was even refreshing about captain marvel is that i liked that that character had flaws and and she had struggles and she was trying to like understand herself and what her power was she wasn't just some like perfect beacon from day one and um yeah it's just cool it's just cool and and with i might have my issues with some of the stuff that marvel's doing but like when it comes to female representation i don't really know what more you could ask for like i really i mean you can definitely ask for more what am i saying but yeah you can ask for more but i think yeah i think there, there is something like now where it feels like if you don't get everything you want immediately, it's like it's bad. And it's like, like I think one of the things you say criticizes um, is it uh, 
Chotel Gomez as America Chavez in um, uh, in Multiverse, Multiverse of Madness. And people, oh, they didn't give her enough. I'm like, but she's like the third supporting character. Mm. You know, she's just been introduced. I don't feel like it's a requirement in a film that's about Doctor, second film about Doctor Strange, where and then there's obviously Wanda as the as the second lead. I would call her second lead. And then I think, you know, that was like a little a mouche bouche, like Spider Man coming into Civil War. Do you know what I mean? I see it as that, where it's like. There isn't yeah. really much about it that they have. And that's what I see it as. I'm going to push back on that because I think um, Civil War, <laughs> my favorite MCU film. Um, Spider-Man. Both Which Spider-Man, is wild to me. That's your favorite. <laughs> what do you think it should be? No, I just think that's one of my, that's one of my least favorite. <laughs> I've got Marvel. Civil War 1, Infinity War 2. Um, but... Um, Spider-Man, both Spider-Man and T'Challa are introduced in that film. They get 15, 20 minutes of screen time apiece. And both of those characters pop in such a huge way, even though they are number seven, number eight. On he does the not get sim- as much as T'Challa. Spider-Man, Spider-Man literally for- turns up and it's like, oh my God, look, it's Spider-Man. He doesn't have like a character though, right? Yeah, he has one scene where the guy, where Tony turns up at his flat or something. Yeah. And then that's it. And that's like, and what, that character only works because everybody knows that it's Spider-Man. <laughs> I know and that it's Spider-Man. it's Spider-Man. I don't yeah. know who America Chavez is. And I would say the movie for me, like I did a good job establishing who that character is because I, mm. I don't know who she is. So... My issue with Zochi Gomez, America Chavez, in Multiverse of Madness is that she spends 90% of her screen time being either a walking exposition device or a MacGuffin that people are chasing after. There's not much screen time just devoted to her character. That's why she didn't pop uh, in that film for me. Uh, And I think compare that to other characters who have been introduced like like a spider-man like a black panther i know there's a lot of history assigned to spider-man that we are you know putting on to tom holland's interpretation right off the bat but t'challa was a character that none of people that that much less people sort of knew about going into civil war and he's in it for about 15 minutes much less screen time than zochi gomez got in multiverse of madness and he pops because of the character where he's written it didn't get that. I didn't get that vibe with Zochi Gomez. I really wanted to because that character is really, really interesting in the comments. And I know that Hannah, you sort of really, uh, uh, I've liked that character, like that character in the comments too. I don't think she got enough to really come out of that gate with a really strong first impression. I don't think Multiverse of Madness gate gave her that. Yeah, I, do, I, yeah, I disagree. I really liked yeah. her. And I think as well, like, again, if we're keeping score, I find sometimes it can be quite reductive if we're keeping score about how this person got introduced in this way and that way. Because again, like, I actually think you say it was 15, 20 minutes. It feels like there was far more of Black Panther in there in so many ways where it's like, no, it wasn't. whether it was all the scenes scenes on there where it's like, first introduction was a fighter, Black Panther, seen him running around. So you know, you kind of feel like fight scene. Then you have the one where he's like, as T'Challa, and then we have him again later on. And then we have him again later on. Like, I think, I don't know. I felt like... <clears throat> Are we comparing screen time or know, exactly. what they're doing on saying, screen? But, like, I'm, but I'm... like, this is what I'm saying. It's like, I, I, you're saying it has, she had, he had less time and they did more with it. Yeah. 
and I, I don't know. I don't. I I kind of feel like I. Yeah, I disagree. I disagree with that. I mean, I don't know. Okay, have you tied? Has it been a timer? Maybe is it even worth timing it? <laughs> I think it did enough. I think. I think again as well. Like we haven't even got confirmation of like a next movie coming up. You know, at that point they were already writing exactly what they needed to introduce them for a Black Panther, prepping up for a Black Panther film. You know, I don't know where they're going with this. With if they're going to have America Chavez back again, how that's going to go. But I felt like it did enough groundwork there to establish her, and also didn't shy away from her LGBTQ origins. Um, I don't know. I feel like that there wasn't a much exposition there. They didn't have to exposise. No, that wasn't much exposition there. I like the way that they showed that in the memory. I thought it was a really good way of just doing it. You know. Yeah, I feel like I've gotten everything that I need. I I think you you're so right about the idea that. It's nice now that we have enough female characters that they can just be supporting characters. And I kind of feel this way about Valkyrie. I know a lot of people were complaining that Valkyrie didn't get enough screen time in Love and Thunder. But I feel like she was, I mean, she was a supporting character in Ragnarok as well. And she had kind of roughly the same amount of screen time. And it's just because she's a great fucking character and she's cool as hell. And it's it's like a nice problem to have, to be like, I really love this character. I wish we could have seen more of her. Um, and I think we're, we're getting annoyed by that just because we're so unused to having so many female characters that the second lead can be Natalie Portman and like Tessa Thompson can be just this this great, like funny side character that's awesome and cool and sexy and we just love her, like... I want that's cool that's great <laughs> it should be like, like that <laughs> it's like it's like Maria Hill like you know what she's a great character when she's in it she does the job that she needs to do that I like that character do mm. you know what I mean I don't need a whole a whole backstory for that character sometimes women can just show up and do the job like they're meant to do that way men can just show up for a scene do you know what I mean like I think I think now it's got so expansive because we have been so starved for female representation I think we want everyone to be like the biggest characters ever and have perfect arcs. Also women aren't a monolith. So like the idea you want them all to be this away. That's why I think even having one wonder as a mother character is actually quite good because how many superheroes get to be moms? Yeah. I love <laughs> you know that. I mean? That's like, mom. you don't yeah. have that. Like, and it, I mean, my, I think though, and I think I said it before when you say you don't, I'm not a monster. I'm a mother. That was basically exactly the same as mo- <laughs> motherhood is a mental illness from hustlers. Like, I feel like sometimes like, there is this idea, and I think it plays on that. When you become a mother, or when you bereave it, you can create, you can become like it can feel like it affects you psychologically and all these type of things. And I think that's what it was trying to do because yeah. there's so many. I think the ba- you know that there's this TV series called The Baby that's come out about like how much you can change as a woman once you become a mother because of the psychological pressure. So that's what I think in a way, in a very outlandish Marvel way, it was trying to show how much motherhood can personally, even if you didn't have them she believed them she basically willed them into existence they're a psychological thing that she created and they've been ripped away and like the idea of that post that depression i think it's showing that in the most marvel way ever and that's why i didn't mind it yeah but then that's the thing i wouldn't be like oh my god the writing of wanda is so misogynistic i just think it's like for me it's just bad writing and it's like it's a little bit to me reductionist like 
I that line just feels weird. I get what you're saying. It just feels weird to me, especially because that movie premiered the same week that was that episode of Moon Knight with his mom. And I was like, I'm pretty sure yeah. that mom is both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was bad she timing. Is. She cray cray. That was bad yeah. timing, Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> Moon Knight would disagree with you, Wanda. <laughs> yeah. I think that's partially the whole you know, one division to multiverse madness of it all is just the amount of time they have to play and add to meet to these characters is so much different when it comes to a nine episode Disney Plus series and a two hour movie. Um in one division it feel felt a lot more complex everything that Wanda was playing around with. In Multiverse of Madness it's actually a very similar arc. But as you say, Chris, it feels very reductionist, it feels very simplistic in terms of how they go about it. Um, I much preferred what they did with WandaVision compared to what they do with Multiverse of Madness with the character, but that's just me. Yeah, do you think, I though, I just thought about this, now we're going to have the Agatha, Agatha Harkness series, do you think it's I feel like she'll come back in that? Because I think one thing I think we've really, what we missed, and, may, and I will say a criticism, and maybe this, but like, we don't go and get enough about the lore of Scarlet, the Scarlet Witch just being, um, what's, it, what's the phrase for someone like that, Amon? Oh, Nexus being. Nexus being. Like, I think we need that sort of witchcraft, magical explainer sort of series. Mm. And I hope like Agatha Harkness series might do that because it might bring her back in some way. Because I don't, I think it's very clear she's not dead. Like, if yeah. you don't see a body, they are dead. <laughs> yeah. No, there's, there's been people <laughs> that I've, there's been other people that I podcasted with that are trying to convince me that she is dead. You do she's not dead. go. No, you do not go through the she's trouble dead. of showing Wanda to be that powerful, destroying everybody. Doctor Strange, one of the top five most powerful heroes in the MCU, he is running from Wanda at every step of the way in this film. He is outmatched, and he knows it. You do not show Wanda to be that powerful, and then try and convince me that because a few rocks, you know, hit, hit her head, she's dead. She is, she's not dead. She's not. Look, I'm very rarely on the they're not dead train. Cough, cough, Stranger Things. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> that, woman's, that woman is alive. I will, I will board that train. She's alive. Mm. There's yeah. no way she's dead. And, and I suppose that was another thing. It's like the way I, I, there's, uh, I've seen things where it's like, oh, they're killing off all the women. It's like, or die. It's like, they're not it's not it's anymore. not it's it's let's talk about the deaths what they're dying for mm. i think so often women have not been able to die for the cause like sure they've been fridged sure they've been like killed to spur a person to action but i really cannot you cannot say with either black widow black widow's death um jane's death or even wanda's death none of those deaths have been about <laughs> kicking a guy into actions it's been their autonomous decision to kill themselves because that's that's what they're doing right she kills herself jane kill knows she's gonna die so she kills herself wanda kills herself like it's just to be the best like it's, it's a sacrifice and i don't mind if women are able to be be martyrs from their own choice and their fruition because i think so often men are allowed to do that mm. all the time so um, um, I, I find that's great. And also there's so many women still around, still knocking about and even more we're getting. So I don't know, maybe it's because we're not used to seeing that, that people see, oh, why do they have to die? It's like, okay, but if you want equality, you've got to, you've got to have it all the way through. You can't just have it in certain elements, you know? Yeah. 
also Natalie Portman was not gonna come back for like multiple films yeah. like they did a little setup for it so that Maybe. she could potentially and then everyone <laughs> anyone who knows comics no one is dead <laughs> they can find any way to bring someone back this is true yeah uh, which is not like it, in comics it might work in uh, the film I think they need to be very very careful with the whole bringing people back and death not matter because I'm getting a little bit sick and tired of it if I'm being completely honest with you death should matter on screen it does it matter is... though yeah, no, same no, with saying, Stranger just, Things I, I know we're not talking about, saying... Mar- we're talking about Marvel but Duffer Brothers listen up yeah yeah, I'm just saying die. they need to continue making it a thing that matters. I think in Thor Love and Thunder, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, they flirt with that a little bit too much for my liking. Um, but when... Yeah. when We had a 20-minute discussion. <laughs> we did. We did. I'm sorry. Like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to rehash. I'm not going to rehash. Um, but yeah, when I think of the deaths that you mentioned it really, the, all of the emotionality comes through because you do sense that this is a big moment because it matters, because it's going to stick, because there's no going back. It's why the art made that, which we haven't mentioned in No Way Home, works so well. Um, yeah, and how yes, is that bad? I'm sorry, but like, yeah. that was the fine, first movie that I finally gave Aunt May what she deserved. Finally. That's what, yeah. Yeah, no, because I, I had issues with, well, Isaac Tomei's Aunt May characterization before the before You know I did. Yes. I wrote several pieces about it. Oh, believe me, I'm aware. Um, so, yeah, um, as long as they continue to, you know, bring all the seriousness and emotion of such a moment to the fore in those moments and not undercut it, as Thor Love and Thunder does at various points, um, then I'll be good with it. And on that morbid note, <laughs> that is it for uh, this week's episode of the Fade to Black podcast. We back, baby. Um, thanks for tuning in and happy viewing via whatever medium is the safest for you. Do subscribe, rate, and leave us a review if you love the podcast because it really makes a difference. And tweet us at Fade to Black Pod if you have something you'd love us to shout out next week. And book your tickets for the live episode of the Fade to Black pod on Thursday, the 15th of September at 7 p.m. There will be giveaways. There will be guests. There will be film chat. There will be singing of hot takes. Make sure you're ready for that because we're going to ask you to get involved for sure. Uh, but on that note, you can follow me on Twitter at Amon Woman. I'm at Hannah Flint on Twitter and at Hannah Ines Flint on Instagram. And I'm at Clarice Lou on Twitter and at Clarice Lockery on Instagram. Farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to black. Mm-hmm.